cross and gathered in his name to worship Christ the Lord. Worship him, Christ the Lord. Let's forget about ourselves, magnify the name and worship him. Let's forget about ourselves, magnify the name, and worship Him. Let's forget about ourselves, magnify the name, and worship Christ the Lord. Worship Him, Christ the spoke the words that brought order and light and life to this world, and we marvel at the glory of your creation. We marvel that you sent your Son, Jesus, the Messiah, in human flesh. We thank you for blessing us with your faithfulness and the truth of your word. You taught us, and Jesus taught us, that true power comes from empowering others. 
He taught us that glory is made visible through loving and serving. We marvel at the depth of your care for us and at the many ways our lives have been blessed because of the sacrificial life and love of Jesus. It is because of him that we gather here today and we remember the words he taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. I want to begin this message with a comment from Mark Twain. Mark Twain said, A lie can travel halfway around the world while the truth is still putting on its shoes. Yes, it was a couple of months ago we uh, took a look at the first five chapters of the book of Revelation. And the messages from these chapters were wonderful. Chapters 1 through 3 told us exactly what Jesus said the correct characteristics of his church should be. And chapters 4 and 5 were worship chapters that proclaimed, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and power. But before going any further into Revelation, a person should first consider what has been taught for the last 70 years throughout the Christian world at many seminaries and preached by preachers who have mesmerized their congregations with their end-time prophecy predictions about a couple of future events called the rapture and the great tribulation. Indeed, there has been a deluge of end-time broadcasting over radio and television and from pulpits and now through the internet. So let us begin by looking at a day in history when Jesus ascended to his Father in heaven. And if you don't have a copy of all these verses, I put all these. So we begin with Acts chapter 1, verse 9, verses 9 through 11. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. So here we have two angels in the form of men in white robes explaining the simple truth about the return of Jesus. They told the disciples that just as Jesus was literally and visibly taken up into the clouds, so he would, in like manner, return from heaven. Now let me tell you, these angels had never attended Moody Bible Institute or Fuller Theological Seminary. They had never listened to the 
famous televangelists like John Hagee or Pat Robertson, nor had they read books by Hal Lindsey or Jerry Jenkins or watched the Left Behind series, series of movies. They had not watched any scary end-time movies such as The Tribulation Force or The Omega Code or any of, the, of another dozen or more movies that show pilotless planes crashing and children disappearing as part of a secret rapture from heaven by Jesus to rapture up all the Christians into the skies to be with them, to be with him. Now, I am confident that these angels had their theology correct. They did not teach a secret return by Jesus. They did not teach that Jesus would vanish, leaving all the non-believers wondering, where did all the Christians go? No, those angels never said anything about a secret return by Jesus. The angels said that Jesus would return in a highly visible manner, in the same way that he left when he ascended some 2,000 years ago from the Mount of Olives. Now, just because the majority believe, believe something, that doesn't make it biblical. Let us not forget that John Wycliffe and Martin Luther and all the other Christian reformers preached in opposition to the Roman Catholic Church. These reformers preached that the just shall live by faith there was a very good reason for the reformers to preach against, the ju against justification by works, which was against the standard doctrine of their day. The reason is this. Justification by works is not found in Scripture. In our times, there are also doctrines, including some end-time doctrines, that have become established as normative doctrines in the Christian community they have found their way into some Seventh-day Baptist churches. No doubt, I believe, because we have sent some of our pastors to seminaries that promote these doctrines. In the past, I would never preach on the subject of end-time beliefs. I thought it would be divisive, but I've changed my view, especially in light of the letters Jesus wrote to the churches admonishing them and urging them to stay with truth in the face of error. Jesus made a promise to the world that he would return. The apostles and Jesus himself spoke frequently about his promise to return. We claim his promise. So I ask that we open our minds and our ears and consider what, scripturally, what scripture actually says about the return of Jesus. Today's popular prophecy teachers say that the return of Jesus will take place in two stages. During stage one, they teach that Jesus will come secretly, an event called the rapture, to remove his church just before the beginning of a seven-year great tribulation period. During the great tribulation, all of the rest of humanity, not raptured, will face the Antichrist who rules everything, a time when billions of people will die in war and famine, and then stage two will happen at the end of the seven-year great tribulation period, when Jesus will once again come again, visibly 
to call up all those who became Christians during the seven-year Great Tribulation. After being given a second chance, and as part of that return, they teach that Jesus will pulverize the armies that are invading Israel at the Battle of Armageddon. This modern doctrine of the second coming Jesus promised has additional components put into it that are not found in Scripture. Today's modern end-time teaching says, rapture first, then seven years with Satan himself as the Antichrist, then the visible second coming of Messiah Jesus. Where does this come from? Well, let's read the scripture most often cited as proof. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 15 through chapter 5, verse 3. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul compared the second coming of Jesus to the arrival of a thief in the night. Rapture proponents interpret this to mean that Jesus will come silently to snatch believers off this earth just before seven years of destruction and chaos begins. And to support their doctrine, they have flooded the bookstores with books and movies showing driverless cars and planes crashing after the proposed rapture happens. I suggest that we slow down. Consider what you just read. Jesus will return with a loud command and a trumpet blast. Obviously, when Jesus returns, he will not be quiet. He will seem like a thief only to those who are unprepared. When he comes, sudden destruction comes upon the lost, like labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. Paul said that Jesus will come like a thief, but it won't be quietly and invisibly to steal believers out of this world as is taught in rapture movies and best-selling novels in thousands of pulpits across the country. Rather, Jesus will come unexpectedly, bringing sudden destruction upon the unsaved. It's not a secret return. It's a noisy return. It's a sudden coming when the unsaved shall not escape. Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians described the second coming of Jesus, not a secret rapture. Matthew chapter 24 is another passage 
often cited by rapture proponents. In chapter 24, verse 3, the disciples came to Jesus and asked him, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus gave them his answer in verses 30 and 31. Then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then all the prophets of the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he will send his angels with a loud trumpet call. And they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of the heavens to the other. These words of Jesus are undeniable. His coming will be visible to all the people of the earth. No one will miss it. No one will wake up the next morning and wonder, where did all the Christians go? This passage in Matthew parallels Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. True believers will be caught up to meet Jesus in the air in a very noisy, visible event that the whole world will see. The event that he promised, his second coming, the return of the Messiah. There is no rapture mentioned directly or indirectly. Jesus had much more to say about his return in this chapter, Matthew chapter 24. In verses 23 and 27, which I don't have for you, you can read them, he warned us not to believe false prophets. Jesus warned us that evil delusions will eventually become so powerful that only the elect will come through without being misled. Who are the elect? Based upon Scripture, they must be a group of believers who know Jesus and the Bible so well that even Satan can't mislead them. And immediately after warning about false prophets and deceptions, Jesus said, in verses 26 through 27, So if anyone tells you, there he is, out in the wilderness, do not go out. Here he is, or, or here he is in the inner rooms. Do not believe it. For as lightning that comes from the east is visible even in the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. An inner room was a secret chamber. What are we to do when someone tells us that Jesus will come in a secret chamber? The answer comes right from the mouth of Jesus. Don't believe it. Why? Because his coming will be as lightning that comes from the east is visible in the west. Lightning flashes across the sky. There's no, there's no getting around it. You can't help but see it. There's nothing secret about the second coming of Jesus. Jesus compares his return to lightning flashing across the sky. On that awesome day, the unsaved will mourn, not because their loved ones have secretly vanished, but because Jesus will suddenly come and their last chance to prepare for his coming will be behind them. Jesus said they will not escape. Then Matthew chapter 24, verses 36 through 44. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, 
but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. How is it, how, that is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field, one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a hand mill, one will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you must also be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. With just a little bit of of discernment and guidance from the Holy Spirit, you can easily see that Jesus was referring to his return. There is no rapture here. It doesn't take careful examination to make that conclusion. However, it takes a long stretch of the imagination to come up with the fiction depicted by the modern rapture movies. There is no talk here or anywhere in Scripture of a rapture. Be it pre, mid, or post-rapture. And there is no talk of a seven-year tribulation. Rather, Jesus tells us to watch and to allow our, our house not to be broken into, not to allow our house to be broken into. To watch doesn't mean watching end-time rapture movies or reading end-time fantasies, best-selling fantasies. Rather, it makes more sense, at least to me, to mean that we should be alert for the many false end-time predictions that Jesus said would come. Let's go to the next passage, often cited as evidence for the secret rapture. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52 says this. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. It's Paul saying that believers will someday vanish when their loved ones blink No, not at all. Paul's very clear about when we shall be transformed and raised up out of our earthly bodies. When? At the last trumpet blast, at the end of the world. This is the same trumpet that Jesus said would be heard around the world at his second coming in Matthew chapter 25. 24, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 24. The rapture doctrine has been sadly swallowed hook, line, and sinker by much of the Christian community. And there is a lot more that comes with it as well. Three doctrines in particular, doctrines, three particular doctrines I would like to mention come, come along with this rapture doctrine. Number one, the church of Jesus will escape the tribulation. 
and closely related to it, those who miss the rapture will have a second chance to be saved. These doctrines obviously are not found in Scripture. Obviously, because the rapture and the great tribulation don't exist in Scripture. These are made-up doctrines. And it's easy to rationalize if you are a non-believer by thinking, if the Christians disappear, then I'll accept Jesus and I'll fight against the Antichrist guy. The rapture doctrine promotes a wait-and-see attitude in unsaved people to put off their decision to repent and follow Jesus. Perhaps you can see how insidious this doctrine is in persuading people not to move toward Jesus. And then number three, this one is so anti-biblical, but pushed so much. God loves us too much to allow us to go through great tribulation. This is what rapture proponents say. God loves us too much to allow us to go through the great tribulation. Excuse me? First, the great tribulation is not found in Scripture. And second, God's Word teaches us to take up our cross daily and follow Jesus. God's Word teaches us that if we follow Jesus without compromise, we will surely suffer. Jesus told his followers that in the world you will have tribulation. And indeed, throughout history and today, millions have suffered and died for taking their stand as followers of Jesus. Thousands of Christians, tens of thousands of Christians were torn to shreds in the Colosseums in the early centuries of the church. And millions were tortured or killed by the ruling religious leaders of the medieval ages. It was called the Inquisition. Today, people in totalitarian countries and in Islamic countries suffer mightily for their faith and often with their lives. Yet American Christians say God loves us so much he wouldn't allow us to go through great tribulation. It is a belief that is not supported by Scripture. And then rapture believers teach us that the church won't be here for Armageddon. Is this true? The word Armageddon is only used one time in the Bible. That's it, one time in Revelation chapter 16, verse 16. And right before that verse, chapter 15, I mean in verse 15, during this difficult end time period, Jesus thunders with these words. Look, I come like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake and remains clothed so as not to be naked and be shamefully exposed. Who was Jesus talking to? He was talking to the church during a time of intense tribulation right before the battle of Armageddon. And then verse 16 says, and they gathered them together to the place in Hebrew called Armageddon. In verse 15, 
during a time of widespread tribulation, which is shortly before Armageddon, Jesus has not yet come as a thief. Therefore, he must come as a thief during Armageddon's fury, after a time of intense tribulation. Jesus said he will return during a time of widespread tribulation to gather his church. Wow. This is a lot to take in at one sitting. This may be the first time you have ever heard the rapture presented as false doctrine. The truth is that the rapture and the seven-year tribulation period are modern doctrines that are not historical Christian beliefs. But sadly, these beliefs have now been adopted as core beliefs by almost the entire evangelical community. Recall the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 24. We read them already when he said, but as the days of Noah were, so also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Matthew 24, verse 37. After the door of the ark was closed, what happened? All desperate attempts to get inside were useless. It was too late. This rapture doctrine has become a Christian escape clause for the avoidance of the end time chaos. And it seems that no amount of evidence will convince rapture proponents otherwise. And for them, in my opinion, truth is what has been left behind. And if you will allow me, next week I will continue this Bible study. Let us look at the passage of prophecy from the book of Daniel that includes the hinge verse used to conjure up the entire left-behind fantasy. And you will be astonished at the absolute stretch of Scripture that has been made by many religious leaders in our day. Our prayer should be, may the Holy Spirit give us wisdom to understand your word, Lord God, and may Jesus Christ be praised. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. How lovely the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news.